Acts was written for Mitchell, since you're here for the first time, by Luke to a guy named Theophilus. And he wrote it to convey what it looked like for God's people, his fo- the followers of Jesus, to do what Jesus did. The Holy Spirit was demonstrated through Jesus 24-7 in the Gospel of Luke as he wrote that letter to Theophilus to convey the truth about Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. But with uh, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we see the followers of Jesus, the disciples doing what He did. And it's really the story of the birth of the church. The reason you're here today is because of their ministry. And, And He's laying this out for Theophilus so we can see it. And He just wants to accurately document the the Holy Spirit moving through God's people starting with the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came on the people like Jesus promised and then spreading throughout the whole world. You know, death, when you think about death, death reveals a lot about what we value, who we are, what's important to us, it really does reveal kind of who we are, doesn't it, when you go through a moment like that. I don't know if any of you guys have had near-death experiences. I've had three in my life. Three, where I literally thought I was gone. And it's amazing how it crystallizes your thinking about your life at that moment. Because you can talk all day long about what you think is important or what's really important or what you, you, know, what you value But at that moment, those things pop into your head. I'm telling you because I've been there. I was in an airplane. You know this story. And I was dying. I was over in Russia. And I was in a a room where they told me they were going to kill me. And all kind of thoughts go through their head. But I can promise you what doesn't go through my head is, man, I wonder how much money's in my bank account. It doesn't go through your head. What doesn't go through my head is, man, I really wanted to buy that boat. That doesn't go through your head at all. What goes through your head is you start to think about the one true living God and the fact that you're about to meet Him. That's what went through my head and both of those instances. And, you know, you think about um, some of you guys. I don't know if you know who Voltaire is. You remember Voltaire? French philosopher, he says this, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. It's a direct quote. My single hand will destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. He was proud. He was confident. He was cynical. But when he died, you know what he said? I'm abandoned by God and man. I give you half of what I'm worth if you will only give me six more months. And he died in 1778. Is Christianity still around? Yes. I think of Stalin when he was dying. You know what he did when he died? He, he raised up off of his deathbed, shook his fist up at God. Even at death, he wouldn't repent. Contrast that with Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary to Burma who was suffering in the midst of his death. He wasn't just dying. He was suffering. And he says, I go with gladness of a boy bounding away from school. I feel so strong in Christ. As he suffered 
the last moments of his life. Or Jonathan Edwards, who died from smallpox, which was not a fun way to die either, said to his daughter as he was dying, where is my Jesus, my never-failing friend? He was looking forward to being with him. Made me think of Ross Carrier, one of our brothers who was here, who died from pancreatic cancer. I was with Ross toward the ends of his life the last couple of days, and he died with peace, looking forward to God. You know, death really reveals who we are, and we're going to see here with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, Here's a guy who, who walks into the face of death, knowing. I mean, you've got to remember what was going on here. Jesus had already been crucified. He was, he was tortured, crucified. His apostles have been arrested twice. Then they were beaten. And Stephen is a brand new believer. This is not a guy who's been coming to SWAT for five years. He's not. He's a brand new believer. A few weeks, maybe. And yet, we see in this guy a surrendered man to God. He surrendered to God. And that's really the key for you and me, I think. Are we surrendered? Are we really surrendered to Him? Or do we just give Him this part of our life over here? Just to go back in Acts chapter 2, remember it was the first sermon Peter preached, and what did he say? You did this, you killed Jesus the Messiah. You killed him. This was the one our hope is built on and you crucified. You're supposed to be testifying about him and yet you killed him. 3,000 people trusted Christ. I don't know. Stephen might have been one of those. And then we see in Acts chapter 4, the first persecution, they arrest the disciples. They tell them, hey, don't do this anymore. What do they do? They go out and start preaching again. 5,000 men then respond again to the Gospel. Stephen might, might have been one of those in that second group. Then in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira uh, really bring sin to a corporate level there in the church. It's the first sin in the church. And God wipes them off the face of the earth. Stephen probably was there watching that or he certainly heard of that. This was a man surrendered. He was watching what was going on. Do you watch what goes on around you? Do you see God's people moving and the difference between God's people and the world's people? Stephen did. He saw those things. Then, in Acts chapter 6, you see the first problem with the structure. They had so many people. They had widows being neglected. And they had to pick seven men out of thousands and thousands of men. Stop and think about that for a second. They asked the people to put forward people, Hellenistic people, people who had come from outside of Israel because the Hellenistic Jews were being deprived. They weren't being taken care of and widows were supposed to be cared for. And who is the first name on the list? Stephen. Stephen. And not only is Stephen mentioned, they give... They give some adjectives about Stephen that they don't give for the other guys. I mean, we know the other guys had qualities that they were looking for, but Stephen, they make a statement back in Acts 6 verse 5. It says, Stephen, what? A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to think about this, about this courageous man 
about this faithful man, this spirit-filled man, this wise man. He is a man surrendered to God. And you know, when you think about courage, I, I think as men, we all want to have courage. We don't always display courage. I was having a conversation yesterday, and it required courage for them to do something, but they were afraid to do it, afraid of what might happen. And you know, I thought about this quote that I heard a long time ago in the Marine Corps. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but the assessment that something is more important than fear. I'm going to read that again because I think it's important for us to understand this. People think because you do courageous things that you're not afraid. That's not the issue. But you just think that it's more important what you have to do than the fear that is inside you. So courage isn't the absence of fear, but the assessment that something is more important than fear. So how important is what God has done for you? How important is it? What he's, not what He's done for somebody else, but what he, what he has done for you. How important is that? How much do you love Him? I think of the story back in Luke chapter 7, verses 40 to 50. Jesus goes to this guy's house who's a Pharisee. The guy doesn't do what you normally do when you have a guest in your house because the guy's just wanting to be around Jesus, but he really don't want to know Jesus. But there's a lady there who wants to know Him. She's crying over His feet, using her hair to dry His feet. Kissing his feet, giving uh, perfume to him to try to do the things that you should do to somebody who's a guest. And Jesus tells him a story. He says, Hey, Simon, there's two men. They both owe debts. One owes a large debt, one owes a small debt. Who's going to love, or who's gonna, who, who, who is going to be more forgiven? The guy with the larger debt, of course, he says. And then he says, I came in and you didn't do this. And she did. Because Simon was making comments about this woman and the way she was treating Jesus. And Jesus just turned it on him. He was great at that. And he said, listen, she's the one who realizes she's been forgiven much. So again, I ask you the question, how important is what God has done for you? I think when we think about Stephen, he realized early on as a young believer the significance of what God had done for him because we tend to think only of our lives we tend to think only of the early moments of our life when, or, or when we made mistakes or you know we, we all would acknowledge we're not great people in our hearts even though our culture tells us we are we're, we're pond scum all of us but yet God says, I want you to be mine. I want you to represent me to the world. And I'm going to send my son. And when you think about what happened all the way back with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and all the things it took to get to the point for you to sit in a chair in a room today to hear what He wants you to hear. 
What has he done for you? How much do you really appreciate it? Well, I think in Stephen's life, we see a guy who is fully surrendered. And in this life, basically this text is 8 through 15, and it just lays out who Stephen is before you see a message by Stephen. And by the way, Stephen's name means victor's crown. That's what his name means. You think, and, and names were important back then, not as much so today, but they were important that they meant something. And his name meant victor's crown. I found that interesting. But God reveals in this text today the impact of a man fully surrendered to him. He was a man full of faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a man full of wisdom, a man full of grace, a man full of power, a man full of courage, and he was a man full of the presence of God. You could see it on it. Wouldn't you like that to describe your life? I mean, isn't that as, as people who really want a relationship with God, wouldn't that, I mean, wouldn't you like that to be written on your tombstone or said at your memorial service? He was a man full of faith, a man full of wisdom, a man full of power. I mean, he was a man full of grace and courage. And you could see God's presence on him. That's what I want said about me. <laughs> because that's what God wants to do in your life. But there's a key requirement, and I've said it a few times already. You have to be surrendered. Kent, when you get in the Marine Corps, do you surrender yourself to them? Everything, yep. Yep. <laughs> you surrender. See, the problem with our version of Christianity in our culture is we give God partial surrender and that don't work. Every guy in here who wants to really have those things in his life, which ultimately that's what it's all about. At the end of your life, nobody sits and goes, man, I, I want them to put on my tombstone. He worked hard at work every day. Is that important? Of course it is. Is it important to have a good work ethic? Absolutely. It's more important to have faith in the one true living God. There's a lot of people that work hard that are going to burn in hell. <laughs> the Jewish people worked hard. The Pharisees worked hard. But they didn't have faith in the one true living God. Because if they did, they would have received Jesus as Messiah. They weren't surrendered. They had an agenda. It's being surrendered. And the impact of a man fully surrendered is what we see in Stephen. So let's read verses 8 through 15. Not a lot of verses. And just quickly look at each one of these, okay? These, these seven characteristics. I'll read them one more time. Faith, the Holy Spirit, grace, power, courage, and God's presence. Faith, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, grace, power, courage, and God's presence. I'm actually going to start in verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, 
Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that, the face of an angel. May God bless his word. A man full of faith. Verse 5 says that he was a man full of faith in the Spirit. What does it mean to be full of faith? It, it means to be controlled and dominate. That faith is the dominating force in your life. That, that means what you believe, and, and listen, whether, whether you believe it or not, the core of who you are is your belief system, your faith. So what you really believe influences your decisions every day. So if you say you believe in God, but you don't follow God's commands, then do you really believe Him? What does Jesus say? If you love me, what? You'll obey me. Yeah. If you, if you obey me, you're going to keep my commandments. How can you say you love God when you don't love man? And, and you you got all these examples in Scripture where God Himself says through His servants in His Word, this is what it looks like if you believe in Me. Stephen was a man very young in the faith, but he was a man full of faith. See, the amount of faith in your life is not based on your longevity as a believer. We have a false perception that if we've been in church a long time, we're full of faith. It means being controlled by faith. What did he believe? How do we know what he believes? Well, guess what the Holy Spirit did? This is what's so cool about God. He reveals in chapter 7 what he believed. He knew going into the lion's den that he was, he was going into a tough situation. Like I said, Jesus had been crucified and, and tortured and died. The apostles had been preaching to who? The Sanhedrin, all the people in the temple. They were arrested, told not to do it. Then they were beaten and told not to do it. And guess what happens to Stephen? He's brought before the same people that have already heard the message 
And so we know what he really believes because he realizes his life is on the line and before he dies, he wants to get what he believes out there. Nobody at the end of their life wastes that time to talk about things they don't believe. And so he lays it all out in chapter 7. Well, what does he believe? He believes in God's Word. He starts off quoting Genesis 12. He goes back to Genesis 12. The promise that God made to Abraham. So he believes in the Word of God. Do you believe in God's Word? Really? Do you really believe in it? Or do you only believe in it in this section? You say, I like this. I don't like this. That's what we do. We cherry pick. You know what? That's just your interpretation here because it doesn't demand anything on my life. His Word is either His Word or it's not. It's either true or not. You can't cherry pick through Scripture and go, well, I don't like that, but I like this. I'm not so black and white on things anymore. I I have a lot more gray area there. Of course you do. Because you want to go away from what God says. That's, That's what we do. We want to be gray in areas. Listen, and it applies in all areas that we are seeing right now in our culture and dealing with a lot of things. Satan wants to twist Scripture. What did Paul say in Acts chapter 20? Be careful, even among you, people are going to raise up who are going to what? They're going to twist Scripture and tell you about your best life now. They'll tell you what you want to hear. Why? Because they want to be popular. They're not preaching God's Word. They're preaching what people want to hear. They're tickling your ears. So he believed in God's Word. You know what else he believed in? We see in chapter 7 we're going to get into next week is God's sovereignty. Why is that important? His plan? His purpose? He goes back and he just follows from Abraham's prom- the God promise God made to Abraham. And by the way, in chapter 7, if you just go into it, over and over, God removed. God spoke. God said. God was with him. God granted. Uh, God gave. It was about God doing these things. God is sovereign over everything. Even over our sin. Do you know that? That doesn't mean He makes us sin, but He's sovereign over it. He can stop anything at any time. Anything, anytime. There is nothing, whether it's His teacher whose wife has pancreatic cancer, or whether it's somebody about to step off a cliff, He can stop it at any time He chooses. He doesn't always choose to, and that confuses us. Why he does this over here, but not over here. Because it's his plan. Stephen understood that even as a young believer. He he knew that, and he's preaching that to these guys. Because what was their problem? Well, if Jesus was Messiah, he would have kicked Rome out. That's what Messiah was supposed to do. I'm not following Jesus anymore. Because none of my business plans work out. I've been giving money to the church. I've been praying. I've been doing all the right things. I'm done with Jesus. It's an actual quote from a guy that I used to mentor a long time ago. I just finally got the point and said, listen, you don't want to follow Jesus. You want to use Jesus. You can't use Him. You either follow Him 
or just give it up. You're going to be miserable the rest of your life trying to use Him. And that's what He preached in chapter 7. We're going to see that. But He also believed in God's Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And He talked about that. The Gospel. Chapter 7, listen to what He says. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they kill those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and you didn't keep it. Now when they heard this, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He believed in Jesus Messiah. And he preached it. But he wasn't just a man controlled by faith, just a man of faith. He was a man full of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? Verse 3, it says it when it says, uh, back in Acts 6, 3, it says, brothers pick out men full of the Spirit and wisdom. Verse 5, Stephen, a man full of faith and what? The Holy Spirit. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and what? The Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And again, I said this last week, that doesn't mean somebody that just holds up their hands and jumps up and down when they hear good praise music. That's what we think being filled with the Spirit. Always walking around happy. Because everything's just great. That does not, that's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means yielded to God's Word and His authority. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Yielded to God's Word and His authority. So, full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Verse 3 and 10 said wisdom. You know, we think wisdom, most of us know, and this is a problem, most young people today confuse wisdom with knowledge. There's a difference between those two. They believe they get wisdom from the internet. Dr. Google, or Professor Google, whatever you want to call him, and literally um, people validate what I say through the internet. Oh, yeah, you're right, because I read it on Google. No, I know I'm right because I've experienced it. I've, I've actually seen it work. I know this works. I've done it. But, but they confuse knowledge. Knowledge is not wisdom. Wisdom is a person who fears the Lord and applies His Word to their life and learns through experience. It's knowledge with experience applied in a mature way. Well, you can't do that if you don't fear the Lord. You're not going to make mature decisions. You're going to make self-motivated decisions. So can't, what, what does the Bible say about wisdom? Where is the beginning of wisdom? What? It starts with what? The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. To reverence Him. Say what? Not age. No. You don't grow wise by just. No, I know some old stupid guys, man. 
No, that, and, 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 and I just mean they 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 no, but but they've spent their life. They don't fear the Lord. They don't fear the Lord, so they can't be wise. They may have knowledge, they may have experience, but they don't have wisdom. So, in Stephen, we see a man full of faith and the Spirit and wisdom. But you know what? He was also a man full of grace. Look at verse eight. It says. He was Stephen, full of grace. We tend to think of grace as just something we receive. But Stephen demonstrated grace given. Do you know what he said as they were killing him? Forgive them. This is not a guy who walked with Jesus for years and years and years. He didn't walk with him as long as the disciples, but yet he said, Father, Forgive them. Remember Peter in the garden? Pull the sword out. He's going to whack the ear off. Stephen's father, forgive them. He, he is grace given. When it talks about him being a man full of grace, Father, forgive them. He was kind. He was loving. Even against those mistreating him. Boy, do we struggle with that as men in our culture today? In this culture climate we live in, There's so much hatred, so much a need for grace. It's not going to happen in your life unless you're surrendered. Not going to have grace unless you're surrendered to God. So he was a man full of faith, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, grace. But he was also a man full of power, verse 8. That's what my Bible says. He was full of power, basically. He was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. You know what's interesting about this? He wasn't an apostle. Big A apostle. But he did miracles. He was a very unique guy. Him and Philip both were two very unique people chosen out of this group and you know, here's the thing about Stephen that I had never really thought about till this past week. Stephen was a transitional person between the apostles and the church going to the Gentiles. Who was there when Stephen died? We're going to see Saul. Saul. In fact, you know what he was doing? Stephen was debating people and he was debating in synagogues. Why? Because he, he, he was doing these miracles and apparently he got an ability to speak in the synagogues. And it says men rose up and were debating him. They had about 500 synagogues, by the way, in Jerusalem at this time. And a lot of them were when people would come from the feast, they would have different synagogues for people to meet in. And, and it's mentioned here in verses 9-14, through 14, the synagogue of the freedmen. That was a synagogue where people who had been um, basically enslaved by Rome but had been freed came back. That was a group of guys that kind of got together in a community. And I say guys, men and women, but it was a synagogue for those people. It's called the synagogue of the freedmen. But there was another one of the Cyrenians from Africa. Alexandria, which was Egypt. Cilicia. By the way, you know what was in Cilicia? 
place called Tarsus. You know who was from Tarsus? Guess who was probably debating him in that synagogue? He knew what they did to Jesus, Stephen did. So he wasn't just a man of power. By the way, Luke 21.15 says, I will give you wisdom and words, Jesus says to His disciples. And He does. And it wasn't just them, it was to Stephen. And God gave him those things. He was a witness of God's Word. That's why God gave him the power. They didn't have the Holy Scriptures yet. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the compilation of the New Testament. And so God authenticated him as His messenger by giving him an ability right then to do miracles that allowed him to be able to share boldly in these synagogues. And guess what? That took a lot of courage in light of everything that was going on. And he spoke about Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Because it said that in the text. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. What does that mean? That means he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. And you don't need to worship in the temple. Remember when we studied Hebrews? You don't need to do the temple sacrifices anymore. He is the only sacrifice. You don't need to go through the rituals anymore. Well, that was blasphemous for them. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon Him and they seized Him. And they brought Him before the council and they set up false witnesses. Does that sound like anybody else you know? Is He being like His Master Jesus there? This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place. He never ceases. What were the apostles told to do? Cease speaking. He was a man of courage. What are you going to do when you're told you can't tell people about Jesus? If we think we'll we'll die for Jesus, we're mistaken because most of us don't live for Him. We're not going to die for Him if we won't live for Him. There's really no death requirement on us right now to speak for Him. Nobody's dragging us off to to jail for speaking for Him, but yet we don't speak about Him. 95% of the people in the evangelical church have never told anybody about Jesus. Yet when we offer training, it's one of the least attended things that churches offer is evangelism training. Isn't that crazy? You would think with such a need, people would be flocking to learn how to tell people about Jesus. He was a man of courage. Faith, Holy Spirit, wisdom, grace, power, and courage. And then finally, in verse 15, he was a man full of God's presence. So much so that his appearance reflected the glory of God. His appearance actually was so much reflected God's glory that what did they say? What does Luke say? His face was like that of an angel. When they saw an angel, it was bright. It was light. It shined. And it reminds me back of Exodus 34, verse 29 and 30, where Moses, when he came from being with God, remember what happened? The Shekinah glory was on his face and he shined. And I think it's interesting that what did they accuse him of speaking against? The law. And against Moses. And God says... Look at my servant Stephen. His face shines just like Moses did. They couldn't deny that. 
couldn't deny what they saw. So, what's the application for me and you? <laughs> God's looking for men today who are full of faith, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, grace, power, courage, and His presence to represent Him to the world. <clears throat> the question is, are we going to be that man? Are we? <coughs> so you can say yes here because you want it, but are you surrendered? I, I surrendered a long time ago. I'm not perfect. I'm very flawed. I've got lots of issues. But I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. And if you will surrender, He will build these qualities in you and use you for His glory in ways that you can't even imagine. And I'm a living witness of it because I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And He said, I'm going to use you just because you're surrendered. And that's what He did with Stephen. And we still celebrate Stephen today as one. He was the first martyr. The word martyr actually means witness. But I just want to encourage you to really pray about being certain. In fact, on your sheet of paper right now, anywhere, find a sheet of paper, a scrap piece. I want you to write this statement out. I am fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Period. Anything, anytime, any place. And then write a blank. And write down today's date. Don't sign it now, but pray about it. Pray about it. You should be able to sign that if you're his. You should be able to sign that if you're his. If you can't sign it in good conscience, don't sign it. Don't lie to him. He knows your heart. He knows what you struggle with. But what you can do is if you can't sign it, ask him to strengthen you to be able to sign that because ultimately that's what his people should be able to say. And if you can't sign that, see, the problem in our culture, that's not what's been communicated to many people. What a lot of people hear is it's about a ticket to heaven. It ain't about a ticket to heaven. It's about you're his. He owns you. The word slave has not been used in most translations because of all the stigma and baggage attached to it. But we are his slaves when we become his. And a slave doesn't get a choice in what the master tells him to do. But that's the word that was used in the Greek. It was a slave. We are his slaves. If we're his. If you don't want to be his, fine, go live your life. But if you're his, let's, let's at least do it the way he's asked us to do it. And let's be his men. Can't will you close our time in prayer? Thank you, Lord.